0: Amen. Let's start, uh, let's start on our new series. We are, we are on a series that we're going to start today, four-part series that we call On Mission. Today, the tagline is On Mission, dealing with the myth of a well-lived life. I want to talk to you today about mission, but I want to talk to you more about the myth of a well-lived life. When I was uh, a young teenager, I'm talking about 13, 14 in there, 15, I had, I had fantasies about my future, like a lot of young teenagers do. And uh, my fantasy and, and my aspirations were not really huge. They were actually incredibly simple if you, if you compare it to other people's dreams. I wanted, uh, I wanted just a, a, a loving wife. And you'd say, Bob, you were 14 years old. But I saw in my future. I didn't have much of a family. I really didn't know what it was to know warmth and security and affirmation. I didn't even know what it was to be fed. I didn't even know what it was to be able to take a shower. I didn't know what it was to have my needs met. And so family was a big issue to me. I, I wanted a, a loving wife. I wanted, I wanted kids. I had fantasies of me wrestling on the ground with my kids crawling all over me and just the joy of family. And, uh, and I, it was so funny. I wanted a nice middle American house And it was white in my dreams with a nice fence. I got a white house. I don't know if I'm middle class or upper middle class, but, you know, I got a white house. I got a lovely wife, and I've had beautiful kids. And I wanted to be a teacher and a coach because I just had this thing in me, even at a young age, to push people forward, to break out of their limitations, and to be achievers. And, of course, in those days, it was academics and and, and sports because that was the context by which I saw those things. Now, what really, out of God's grace and his mercy towards me, those those things were granted to me. I've had a very very loving wife. I still do. She's still alive, by the way. I have a loving wife. She's still with us, and uh, I'm thankful for that. She woke up this morning. I'm glad she did. But uh, I I have four wonderful daughters, four outstanding son-in-laws. I got 11 grandkids, and uh, you know I wanted friends. I got great friends. There's nothing I can complain. I got a white house just like I saw in that picture, and God has, God has blessed my life. But the problem with my dream and the problem with even my aspiration in that time was the context by which I was dreaming that dream. I was looking at my wife and my children and my house and my career as being the meaning of life, as being the purpose of life, and I had a wrong context the other thing was wrong with my dream was my motive my motive was my happiness that was the motive dream was good it was a wonderful thing It just had a wrong context and had a wrong motive and I want to address that aspect today about the myth of a well-lived life And my one of my texts I got a few scriptures just to lay the foundation here is Philippians chapter 3 7 through 14 So Paul says this, but whatever gain I had. Now, in Paul's context here, he's talking about the gain of his accomplishments as a Jew of the Jews within the Jewish religious system, his achievements, his character, what he accomplished, his status, and uh, all those things, whatever had been gained, you can take that out and you can put, you know, my career or my trophies or money I've been rewarded or blessings or things that I did in college. You can put all those things. We, so whatever I had gained, he says, I counted as loss. Now, this word counted, he uses three times here. In other words, I consider or I evaluated this thing and I count it as absolute loss because I'm replacing it with something far better, and that's a relationship with Christ. For the sake of Christ. Indeed, I counter-evaluated everything as loss because of something that surpasses that, that's far better than that, and that is the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I suffered the loss of all things. Now, notice this third time. I consider I evaluated it, them as rubbish. Now, a lot of commentators want to kind of brush that up and call it garbage. But really, modern scholarship, in the context of this particular verse, and Paul's kind of like hammering this thing. He's getting more intense as he's talking about it. The word is really done. So basically, if you want to get to the the motion of what Paul's saying, I count all those things that I possessed as crap. Okay, crappeth make it sound more sanctified (laughs) sometimes you gotta get into a little bit of a vulgar word to actually hear the vulgar of the original language to drive the point home compared to Jesus that's what this is compared to relationship with Jesus that's what this is kind of drives the point a little bit home wakes me up in my devotional time reading this in order that I may gain Christ once again the better thing And be found in him, and of course Paul says, not having a righteousness of my own by the achievement of keeping the law because the problem with that, God rewards me then by what I do and I don't do that well all the time. So I don't get my reward, it's a bad system. But a righteousness not of my own that comes from the law but that which comes through faith in Christ that he grants me, he declares that I am absolutely right before him, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. And then Paul says this, Paul says this, I'm doing good. Just looking at my PowerPoint, what you're looking at here. And he goes, that I may know him. Now when Paul says that I may know him, that I may know a a life-shaping way of knowing him. That I may know him in a way that I get shaped like him, that I become like him, that I experience who he is and become transformed like him and the power of his resurrection. I want the power of his resurrection. The power of the resurrection comes two ways. First, he is the power of our resurrection. It's his power in us. And so that becomes when we give our life to Jesus and his power is in us by the presence of the Holy Spirit to transform us to become like Jesus. You're here today, you're changing. We prayed for deliverances today. We prayed for God's intervention today. We prayed that God would cause things to drop off of you today. We, we prayed for these. You're being transformed. You're being shaped. Your life is being shaped by the power of His Spirit because of His resurrection and His presence in your life. But it's also, eventually, the ultimate rest, rest, excuse me, resurrection of the second coming of Jesus. And Paul is seeking an eternal vision here of what's really, really important. And part of this life-shaping way that I experience and I know Jesus is that I may share in his sufferings. How many people want to become like Jesus? If you want to become like Jesus, you have to suffer like Jesus. Now, I'm not here creating, let's go out and suffer, let's go out and find suffering. That's horrible. I'd be morbid if I preached that. Suffering will find you you want to be shaped like Jesus and you're sincere in that prayer and that motive, don't worry. I want you to go enjoy yourself because suffering will find you. Your your prayers will be answered. Your passions will be fulfilled because I can't be like Jesus unless I share in what Jesus went through. And there's millions of varieties in God's great creativity in you how he'll allow that to take place. Don't have to worry about that one. And don't go out and find it. I tell people, try to get as blessed as you can get. You'll need it. <laughs> Becoming like him in his death. Now the Bible says, we're going to read this in a second, that I've been crucified with Christ. Jesus died for me, but I, but I die. In my, relationship, in my relationship with him, I die with him. I die to my dreams and my agendas and my, the world and the influences that pull on me and my inward passions I I die to these things it's one thing to make a declaration that I've been crucified with Christ it's another thing to go through the daily process of dying how many people die easily okay not too many I don't die easily too I it's hard for me to die to things but I have to die to things you have to die to things and Paul says I might be conformed to his death that by any means possible I may obtain the resurrection from the dead, that I might obtain that eternal resurrection where I dwell with Jesus forever. There's an eternal view in Paul's declaration here. Not that I've already obtained this. Paul says, I'm not perfect. I'm still in process. I'm being transformed. And, uh, or I'm already mature, or complete, or perfect. But I press on this word press is an athletic term. I run swiftly. That's an intense word. And these guys, these guys understood the Ith- Ithmian games and, and they understood track and field. They understood those things. I, I run swiftly. I run swiftly to make it my own because Christ Jesus made me his own. He grabbed a hold of me that I might become like him and fulfill his purpose. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind. Come on, your past, your failures, and even, church, the good old days. Remember the the good old days? Even the good old days of City Harvest Church. Remember the good old days of City Harvest Church? Come on, we don't live in the good old days. We're pressing on to what God wants to do now, Amen? amen? Come on, I'm pressing, I'm running swiftly so that I might obtain what God wants to do now in my life. I'm going to forget about the past and the good old days. I'm straining for, forward to what lies ahead. I press. I run swiftly on toward the goal for the prize, the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Come on, I have a heavenly-minded focus. I want to dwell with God forever, and my relationship with Jesus is all, uh, is, is everything, is all-consuming to me. And I count and evaluate everything in light of that as rubbish. Because this is what's important. It's I'm going to lay a foundational attitude in us that we should have as followers of Jesus. The Bible goes on to say this about us that I have been crucified with Christ. And when I've been part of this knowing Jesus and being shaped in, in his likeness, is that I have to experience crucifixion, I have to die with him. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Come on, Jesus is living his life through me. And so there's a death in me to my agenda. There's a death in me sometimes to my dreams. There's a death in me to sometimes the things that I would prefer to do. Now you may say that, that Bob, there's no dreams and, and, and there's no goals. Yes, there's absolute dreams and there's absolute goals but it's, it's goals and dreams with the right motive and in the right context because that's to be centered around knowing God and knowing Him in a way He's shaping you to become like Him. Come on, I live in the flesh. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself to me. That's my focus. That's my priority. Galatians 6.14 says this. But... Far be it from me to boast except on the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Life is not about achievements and what I have obtained or what I have fulfilled. Life is about the cross of Christ. And I'll explain this in a second, why this life has to be about his cross. In Isaiah 43, God is prophesying about bringing his people back who have been dispersed throughout the region of the world and I will say to the north give up and to the south do not withhold bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the end of the earth everyone who is called by my name now listen to this whom I created for what I created for what that's the meaning of life Whom I formed and made. Life is about the glory of God. Now, Bob, is there achievement in that? Absolutely. Is there winning in that? Absolutely. Is there increase in that? Absolutely. But remember, it's the right context and the right motive. Here, just a a few weeks ago in the United States, and you may not be a big college football fan, but uh, Clemson Tigers played the Alabama Tied and they uh, upset them in the national championship game, 44 to 16. Dabo Swinney, who is the head coach of Clemson, he made this statement to ESPN as soon as the game was over. He said these words. For me personally, he said, joy comes from focusing on Jesus, others, and yourself. It's a blessing. It is the grace of the good Lord that allows us to experience something like this. All the credit, all the glory goes to the Lord. Then he said, you might think I'm crazy. He said that. You might think I'm crazy, national TV. But only God can do this. And if, if, if God could do this with us, then he can do this with anybody. Now what's Dabo looking at his life about? He's saying, what I went through is so I can have a platform to say to the world this is what God does when we give Him glory and whatever plight you're in, if you'll trust in Him and make Him your strength, He'll do the same to you in your circumstance and that's why we won the national championship. That's a whole different focus and a whole different context and a whole different motive. We were formed for His glory. 1 Corinthians ten thirty one it says even the little things. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, you do all to the glory of God. Now, Sue will say my table manners don't bring a whole lot of glory to God when I'm eating. <laughs> but even when we're eating, we're thankful for the provision he's brought and the blessing he's brought. I've, I've had meals with my family and friends where I'm just overwhelmed by God's goodness and his provision and his blessing upon our life and know that it came because of Jesus. So what is the meaning of life? Well, there's this thing called the Westminster Confession. It's a document, a declaration of the faith that was established in 1646. That deals with basically the foundation of Christian doctrine at that time for the Church of England. It said this, it starts off by saying this, that man's chief and highest end is to glorify God and fully to enjoy Him forever. That's it. I mean, what's the, what, what is it about to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever? If you just, like, make that your mantra, everything else will fall into place. Well, what do I need to do? Well, you'll know what to do if you're here to glorify God and to fully enjoy Him. I don't know if believers sometimes fully enjoy God. They believe, but they don't enjoy God. Sometimes they're not thinking about glorifying Him. But this is the context, the meaning, in, 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 the, in the motive of life. So what is the glory of God, Bob? Well, the glory of God is this. First, it's, it's God going public and showing his excellence. God's going public. When someone gets healed, God's going public. Some, somebody who was an absolute atheist and a a fighter against Christianity and a fighter against Christ all of a sudden becomes a disciple of Jesus and a radical follower of him. God, God's just showing off. He's showing his excellence at what he can do. When someone who has no hope in a hopeless situation, God pulls out of the ash heap and somehow exalts them to a place that people never thought that person would get to, God is showing himself off. When God brings a bunch of different people like you together in one thing called the local church, where you get along and love each other and, and move as one, I mean, God's showing off. I'm a pastor. I know how hard it is just for you guys to like each other. God's getting the glory. He's working by His grace. He's, he's showing Himself. He's going public. And God's ultimate glory in showing off is revealed through the cross. Second Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6 is this, says this. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness. And Paul is pulling out of the book of Genesis when there was no light. And God said, let there be light and light appeared. He's now comparing that to the gospel. And it says, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God. How does God show the light of the knowledge of the glory of God? He shows it in the face of Jesus Christ in other words it's not just Jesus sitting at the right hand of the Father that's true it's Jesus who ministered on earth and healed people and declared the gospel of the kingdom and it's Jesus who suffered on the cross for you and I and because of what he did in our place God is now able to release his blessing and his purpose in my life and your life it's all who Jesus is. It's all that Jesus has done. It's through the cross that God gets glorified because all that he does is a result of that, the cross. So looking at this, God showing off and God wanting to be glorified and all things is about Jesus and is about the glory of God, what would I choose in life? I mean, what is it that I really want to, my life to, to be about? You know, a lot of people feel that life, is, as I said, is about love, and it's about being loved and experiencing love, and, and, um, and sometimes we define love as people making a big deal about us. So what's love look like? It's, well, when everyone kind of sits around the circle and they just affirm me and tell me how great I am, and that's, I feel really loved, okay? Now, I want to just say, I love being affirmed. I love throwing birthday parties for myself. I just say, "So I want a birthday party. I don't want these people here. Why? Because they all bring good gifts." <laughs> I want them to laugh at my jokes and enjoy me, and you know, and we just have a lot of fun with me. I, I, I'm just going to go on. I mean, I, I love the Bob Goff stuff about you know everyone and always and and love does and doing those radical things and, and loving people. Remember the context and the motive. But what, what would I choose? Here's a good choice. Would I choose a, a room full of mirrors or a front row seat to view the vastness of the galaxies? Notice this. Psalm 19, verse 1. The heavens declare the glory of God. The sky displays His handiwork. Day after day, it, creation, speaks out. Night after night, it the vastness of the universe reveals His greatness. So, when I, I say, Bob, what would you choose? I, I, I would choose a room full of mirrors about me. I just want to just. This is such a blessing. Just looking at myself and oh, it looks good. It's so nice. I'm loving this. And oh, mirrors! I love this one. Full body shot. Looking good. That's what I want. Wow, wow. Oh. That That was door number one. Because, of course, that's what life is about. Me and you loving me. Or would I rather kind of get like a, up at Pike's Peak or someone helicoptering me up to Mount Hood on a, just a bright August night, no lights, one in the morning, and just sit and see the Milky Way and the northern lights and the great galaxy that he made. And I, I will feel so small that I'm such, I play such a microscopic part of that vast plan But at the same time, I am awed that the one who created it became my dad because of what Jesus did on the cross. And you tell me which one of those two will meet my need. Wow. So what satisfies? Well, let's look at this. There you go. Good spouse, kids, and friends. There we go. Now I've said this, God out of his absolute forgiveness and grace and, and mercy in my life and um, because of what Jesus did on the cross, he, he gave me th- these things. I think, you know, she looks just like Sue in that picture. I'm teasing. But it's not the meaning of life. My family is not the meaning of life. It's, the, it's, a, it's an instrument to extend the meaning of life. My family happened because of Jesus. And my family happened for Jesus. I remember praying over my kids when they were young, and I always prayed, Lord, let your will be done in their life. A real simple prayer. Well, did it work? Yeah, I think it, I think it, I think it landed pretty good. Julia, she's about seven years old, my oldest daughter, she said, Daddy, you always pray that prayer over us. One night, why, why do you pray that prayer? I said, well, honey, one day, and I love you, and I love being your dad and part of the family, one one day I'm going to have to give you over to what God really wants to do with you. You might have to move away from us to do that. You might have to go a journey separated from us. But I want you to know that we are here as a family so that we can help you fulfill that. That's why we do this. Today, she's a pastor in, in Hollywood, California. My family was for Jesus not for me in that yes God meets so many needs in my life because of my family but it's not the end in itself it's only the the means to an end to see the kingdom of God extended what satisfies maybe it's retirement doing what I want when I want retired really I don't care if you're 75 years old here today and you got a nice 401k and a winnow are you all of a sudden off the hook that you can do what you want, when you want? That somehow when you retire, you're no longer crucified with Christ? When you, when you retire, you're no longer a, a, a servant, a doulos of Jesus, a servant of Jesus? That all of a sudden I get retired, I do what I want, when I want? No, 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 I don't think you, you, you get off the hook on that. This is not for YWAMers. This is for the church of Jesus. when well, we love. Go Gibbs. Go Gibbs in Kyrgyzstan! Sorry you're sick all the time in that environment. We're praying for you. We all have our own Kyrgyzstan to go to. Whether you're 80 or you got a nice cash cow in retirement, I'm not allowed to do what I want when I want. What satisfies? Physical fitness? A nice picture of Arnold up here. One frame it says, I'll be back. The other one says, oh, my back. <laughs> now, I don't have, won't have this up here too long so I don't offend anybody. Nobody send me a letter that you got incited to lust, okay? <laughs> my issue is this. You fade physically. If you want to put all your marbles into this, that this is going to be the thing that meets your needs, satisfies you, it's not going to take place because you're eventually going to look like Arnold at 70 there. What's satisfied? Maybe maybe a well-traveled life. Got all sorts of nice figures up here. You got, you know, the Tower of London, the Colosseum. You got Eiffel Tower. You got the big Jesus in Rio de Janeiro, the Statue of Liberty. One in the back like we just saw in Spain and Barcelona. Forget the Segre something. We, we walked and saw that. I've seen a lot of these things. I haven't seen all of them. But you say, well, I've done this. I've lived a good life. I want you to know that Jesus didn't travel more than 100 miles. And yet his life changed the world. So I never got to go to that place. I like to. Maybe God will give that. The desires of your heart. He does those things. But never think your life does not have impact because you didn't go see the Eiffel Tower. I haven't seen that. Leslie has. I'm really, really upset about this. But what satisfies success. And I want success. Remember, success is absolutely right and absolutely good in the right context. Will I recognize in that success where my success came from? Will I recognize that everything that I've received in my life, promotion, increase, money, name, power, comes because of what Jesus has done and God's grace being released to me? You can never forget that. What satisfies Financial security, got all sorts of nice things written on financial security. I got, I got plenty. For now, you watch the stock market, it's an emotional roller coaster. Hey, we made a lot of money. Oh, we lost a lot of money. Yeah, hey, we made a lot of money. We lost a lot of money. Right now, it's up and down, up and down. You gain 50000 one year. I mean, one day, I lose $50,000 the next. That's where, that's where your fulfillment is not You're setting yourself up to be really dissatisfied. We're safe. I'll tell you where you're safe. You're safe in the middle of the will of God. That's the only place you're safe at. Yeah. Bible doesn't say money is our anchor. The Bible says that Jesus who went behind the veil is our anchor. It's him. And so I, I'll have value, I'll have esteem. People will esteem me, and they do. In our culture, you got some money, people respect you. You don't have money, people don't give you respect. And I know the humiliation of the one, and I know the arrogance of the other. Our, our boasting is in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Who satisfies us is God, and the joy of bringing others into a relationship with Him. That's what satisfies you leave someone to Jesus, someone processes with you over months and finally makes a decision to be a follower of Christ, you cannot replace that with anything in the world. When you achieve something and you can say to somebody, I give God the credit in my life what he's done, you have a platform to give him glory and to share his great love with them, that will satisfy you like nothing else. Isaiah 26, verse 8 says, Yes, as your judgments unfold, O Lord, we wait for you. We desire your fame and reputation to grow. That's our heart. Your fame and your, restoration, I mean, in your reputation to grow. Now notice this, because Christ also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust. Why? Why did Jesus suffer on the cross? To bring you to God. It's not just forgiveness and atonement. It's reconciliation that we get to come back into relationship with God. I love YWAM's mission statement, to know him and to make him known. To know him and to make him known. So question, closing this up. Worship team, come on up here, please. Can I really, can I really, I get really from my grandson, Whit. He uses really alive when he doesn't want to eat, he says, Papa, I really, 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 really don't want to eat. (laughs) So I'm just using the words of my grandson, Witt, Can I really, really, really (laughs) live a life with one passion, to see God glorified and others to come to know him and unify all other things in life, like work and leisure and fitness and romance and family, taxes and blah, 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 around that single passion? And the answer is yes. It's not that those things are wrong. You've got to do those things, and the context is that these things come to me because of what Jesus has done, and therefore I boast in the cross. And I declare the cross, and I witness the cross, and I share the cross, and they come so that he would be glorified, and others would see his beauty and his excellence. The Passion Conference, started by Lou Gigolo. They make this declaration, it's called the 268 Declaration, out of Isaiah 26:8, it says, "For your name and your renown are the desire of our souls." At the end of the day, in order for our lives to count, it to count, it has to be about one name. As Christians, our hearts and lives need to be reflecting and moving us towards compassion and sharing the good news with the world simply because we are overwhelmed by who He is and what He's done for each and every one of us. His name and His renown needs to be the desire of our souls and the driving force in all that we do.